0: This is Coda Radio, episode 205, for May 16th, 2016. And welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. There it is. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week, perched atop his broadcast mountain on the East Coast, hunkered down with his microphone, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Michael! Guten Morgen or afternoon. Hello, Guten After I don't I don't know what the you know that's interesting? As long as I've known that saying, I've never known what a good evening is or good afternoon. I only know good morning in German. <laughs> well, well, good night is guten Nacht, right? Is it, I, or maybe it's like Hawaii, where uh, aloha uh, What is it? Aloha it could be aloha goodbye. Hello or, uh, yeah, yeah, maybe it's, yeah. Guten Tag! Oh, I did know that. I guten did, Tag! Ah, yeah, 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 good
1: yeah. You did,
0: yeah. Oh, well, that's not what we're gathered here to talk about today on the Coda Radio program, Mr. Dominic. Oh. I teased in our live stream tweet that once we go through some very interesting hoopla, I think you might just think we have a time machine after you listen to this week's episode. I'm not. I, I mean, I'm not saying that on the record. I'm gonna have. I'm gonna have all that edited out. But I'm just saying, time machine.
1: Time machine. What so, a great backup solution.
0: Before we get into the hoopla, really. <laughs> somebody, no, you know, you know, uh, you know, you know where the one place you don't need to go. Like, so you know how Apple got a hard time for a long time for their ske- skeuomorphic design
1: which I actually liked but keep going. Yeah,
0: yeah, I mean to some degree it made sense. All of a sudden you had these high DPI displays. It made sense to sort of lavish it up a little bit. Uh put the put the nice lacquer on there. But the one place where I just it just never made sense was that freaking space animation for Time Machine. And you you think it's good and solid until you're on like an old Mac, like say you go to a client that has a bunch of old Macs that just run like Photoshop 6 or something, and they're on, like, an earlier, like, one of the first iterations or second iterations of macOS that had a time machine, they, those machines can, they, they, they can't even run that animation properly. Like, later on, Apple yeah, came up yeah. with some sort of fallback system, but early on, it was just you were in, like, a five frame per second backup UI. It was so
1: awful. Yeah, Bad you software know, design right yeah. there. <laughs> I... I mean, we don't need to talk about backup solutions, but no, no. We don't. I I I went for crash plan and really never looked back.
0: No, good for you, good for you. Yeah, sure. hey, really, just really briefly before, too. Before we move into the hoopla, I came across Aaron's email that he sent in for ages ago, uh, and it was about RSI. Uh, I got a few comments about RSI, and he had you know he had a whole bunch of different stuff that uh, he's tried, but uh, one thing that he really liked uh, was the Happy Hacking Keyboard Professional Two. Uh, it's a Japanese product, hence the the, the name. Um, he likes that it's a minimalistic key layout that keeps unnecessary movement. Uh, also, some people recommended remapping uh, like some of my keys, like control to caps locks and stuff like that. Uh, and some people also recommended some great stretches and things like that. So I just wanted to say thank you to people who had contacted me. And the RSI is still kind of crappy. It's kind of getting me down because it's going, been going on for a few weeks now. And I just feel like on top of being now, behind on work and, and being yeah. behind on sleep, now my body's not keeping up. It just It's, it's been kind of a downer for me, actually.
1: I, I was having major like RSI pain like end of 2013, beginning of 2014. Do you? And what I found for me was stop working on your laptop as a laptop.
0: Yeah, dude, boy, yeah. that's the thing. I, I just I have stopped working, and thankfully. Not all by choice. Uh, I mean, I've stopped working on, I mean, not thankfully, but I stopped working on my laptop when my PCI SSD died on me. But I have not picked up another laptop or fixed it in the meantime because that's really when it hurts, is that keyboard. Well,
1: there, they are, e- even the good laptop keyboards, like, right? Like, I know System 76 aren't bad. Uh, the MacBook Pro, not the crazy one on the MacBook 1 or whatever they call it. Yeah, the bigger one. The bigger, the the bigger, bigger, one, the, the bigger ones are better, but they're nothing compared to a mechanical keyboard. Yeah. You know, I, I, and we talked about it last week, I think I'm particular to the DOS keyboard yeah. Did, yeah, yeah, yeah. but in fact, look, let just, just give it a listen real quick. Oh yeah. It's gorgeous. it's gorgeous. Gorgeous. I have been trying to
0: walk more Jed. So Jed mentions I need yeah. to do more exercise and sleep. I am trying to do the sleep thing. I'm, tr- I'm trying to track my sleep again and get a handle on that, but it's difficult because family members are sick and
1: uh, yeah, you want to talk to me about not sleeping. Oh geez. Really? Has it been rough? It's like some strange Chinese torture.
0: Yeah, is every two hours the baby wakes up?
1: You know, he, he it's it's not that he wakes up every two hours; it's that he won't go to sleep until two a.m. Oh, wow. and he begins his night at two a.m. and I begin my day at like six. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. even if he wakes up once, it's it's pretty pretty rough.
0: Yeah, that is. Yeah, that is that is really especially and doesn't get it doesn't really get much better because life goes on and you know like right now uh, Dylan is sick and so he was at my place uh, Saturday night and he was pretty much up a good chunk of the night. He got some solid sleep in there, but for most of the night, I think it was not really any, anything, uh, very restful. I mean, it's just, yeah, it, it wears you out after a while. It's kind Uh, of a lot. It feels like a lot of headwinds sometimes. I feel like I want to sit down and do my work and I want to focus on my projects, but I'm, I'm up against, you know, just all, all different kinds of headwinds that are stressors on life.
1: Oh, of course. I mean, and, and you know, it's obviously not ki- when kids are sick. It's not their fault. I mean, it's right. not like you can mm-hmm. be upset about it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I have a bad habit now as I, I get to my office and I just sit and have coffee for like 30 minutes mm. because it's silent here, right? Mm. I'm here before <laughs> anybody else. And it's like, oh, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. Um, which is not good because, you know, for me, when I don't sleep enough, I, I used to be a champion of all-nighters. Now, if I don't get enough sleep, I, I can't do anything.
0: Yeah yeah and for me it affects my job performance pretty directly because the the two things I really notice is it affects how I speak like like the way I speak it, it's slower it's it's not as clear it's, i don't I don't like it as much and the other thing I notice is uh sometimes my my mind just isn't moving as fast as it needs to be moving to be not just hosting the show but also switching the show and checking the chat room and lining up the next shot for the camera and all that stuff requires that cognitively I need to be Firing pretty much on all cylinders. And when I haven't, I'm going on like five or six days of pretty rough sleep. It's like, ooh, just kind of want to just call a vacation. But, you know, at the same time, honestly, there are a few things that are kind of exciting. Like looking just at our lineup today, Uh, Google I.O. is this week, Wednesday. And I actually think there's going to be a super kick ass I.O.
1: I do not. Oh, I can't wait to talk about that yeah. with you. <laughs> but, but let's, let's do the news first. Okay. So this is new.
0: this is the big one, I think, for our community. You saw a lot of talk about this on Reddit, too. Uh, GitHub is introducing private unlimited repositories.
1: Yes, and if they had done this years ago, I would be on GitHub. I remember.
0: We talked a lot yeah. about this, actually. So um, a personal account is 7 bucks a month. An organization, 9 bucks a user, 25 bucks a month for your first five users.
1: Yeah, you really want the organization account if you're... So, so let's be clear, though, right? A lot of people correctly pointed out to me when I was all happy about this. This is for the vast majority of users a straight price increase.
0: Well, so if I look at this, so if you're for repos- for seven bucks a month, no matter what you're paying for, your plan now includes as many repositories as you need. Now, was there a lower price point below seven before that? And here's the other thing,
1: Mike. No, I see. So I don't know much about the personal plans. I'll be honest. I, I, yeah. when I. When we, when my old company, when we used Looking GitHub, at the business
0: plans, it looks like this might be...
1: It, it's a big increase. Yeah. Uh, so the deal was before, with both the business and the personal plans, it was, for the business, like $25 a month or whatever. And you would get up to, I think it was like five repos, but you could have unlimited contributors. And GitHub makes no distinction between, you know, me sending you a GitHub invite to your personal email and me giving you an email at Buccaneer and saying you, you know... This is your email, Uh, which is one of the reasons I'm not sure that I love GitHub. (laughs) Because there's an element of like control there. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and maybe you don't want everything to be public because it also shows your organizations publicly. Um, But I, I could see for a lot of people that maybe doesn't matter. What ended up happening, though, you know, if you're a startup with one product, you just have one big repo with a bunch of collaborators. That's an awesome deal. If you're a shop who does a lot of little projects for people where every client has like three repos, you quickly hit that cap. I mean, we got to the point at Fingertip where we were paying like $300 a month to GitHub. Yep,
0: I remember talking about and, that. And that is and just-
1: we were going to have to jump up to like, I think we we're actually at five. I think we we're going to have to jump to like 800 And Ooh. we just, you know, it, it, the decision was made to move to GitLab at the time. Um, in starting Buccaneer made a different decision. We're very tied into the Atlassian tool toolchain, Jira and uh in fact today we just got their new product, Jira project for project management. Huh. So their their alternative to GitHub is Bitbucket, which does not charge you by the repo mm-hmm. or by the user.
0: So, so as a as a as that kind of as an organization, as a business, it seems like an increase. But as an individual user who might just want to be like the I'm just—I mean, I don't—I don't want to be stereotypical, but let's say uh, somebody who's on the internet that wants to just get involved in a whole bunch of open source projects. This seems like a really great price point for that—that that person, for he or she that just really uh, is going to have her hands in a lot of different things. Why not? And, and now there's a very straightforward price point: seven bucks.
1: Well, or if you're a company that doesn't have that many repos, right? You're a product startup. But you you know, the question is are you going to scale headcount or repos? If you're a if you're a shop. Both, right? <laughs> I mean usually well, if you're a shop, you're scaling repos probably faster than you're scaling headcount because a lot of the time the client will ask, you know what, don't delete my repo, just keep it. That's true. Right. And and now you're using Bitbucket or GitHub as a backup. H- having or sometimes that, you want to just keep it around.
0: Really. I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes it's advantageous to just keep it. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that just
1: keep things around like that. You know, I, I think this is great. I also think we should call a spade a spade, and it is effectively a price increase on development shops. I mean, it, it's actually a pretty – I'm sorry. It's oh, a price true. increase on most
0: users. You can't use private repos with open source projects. That's true. Yeah. You, yeah, I guess, I guess what I – I guess I was thinking of somebody who would maybe just want to have a bunch of projects. I wasn't necessarily. Like meaning involved person, with other projects,
1: right? If you're an individual person, you want to have a bunch of private repos. Yeah. This is awesome for you. But
0: I guess and I was, just, I was hoping it would be. Yeah, never mind. It just wouldn't. Yeah. I guess you're right. It kind of, it kind of is an increase your businesses mostly.
1: Well, well, well let me, <laughs> let, let, let me. I'm sitting here
0: trying to split the difference and come up with the positive side, and I'm, I'm losing ground.
1: One thing about this super common case, right? You're a dev shop, and you get overwhelmed. You might cut subcontract out sure. to some okay. individual ninety-nine guy for for like three weeks just to avoid falling behind. Before. That had no bearing on your GitHub account. Now it probably will, right? Yeah. Assuming your internal development team is greater than you know five people. Also, people who don't, they consider anyone with repo access a developer, not anyone committing code, which is a significant difference. So, if you have testers that have access because you're using GitHub's um, project management solution for issue tracking, they count. You have to pay. Having said that, if you're using GitHub's project management solution and you are that big. I would definitely recommend you look at Jira. It's hmm. significantly better. But
0: you know, I was gonna—I uh, was just gonna mention really quickly too that they're being pretty good guy about the uh, change. Uh, one of the facts—they're giving is,
1: you a year, right? They yeah. said they won't. Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. They say, "Well, GitHub forced me to move to a per-user pricing uh, uh, after 12 months. No, at this time we're not enforcing a timeline to move. I am an existing organization customer and prefer the per-repository plans. Can I remain on my current plan? Yes." You can choose to continue paying based on the number of repositories yeah. you use.
1: You know, I, I don't. Um, I definitely see the attraction in using GitHub for your source control hosting, but I, I would challenge and, and maybe their tools have gotten better. It's been it's been over wow, it's been over a year and a half since I really used their project management tools. You know, we pretty quickly back in the day had to move away from from GitHub for issue tracking. Um, it's just not quite as organized. And I would even argue it's not the best tool for non technical people. But.
0: I will say if you, if you you know, let's just, alpha in the room, let's just say it. Go spin up your own solution if you can. If that's within your means, digitalocean.com. It's a right. sponsor right here on the Coder Radio program. GitLab and DigitalOcean go together like peanut butter and jam. Literally, they have a one kick, one kick. <laughs> well, yeah, it does kind of kick it off. One click deployment of the image of. I've, I think it's probably based on Ubuntu. I've never actually deployed it, but I would imagine uh, it's all over Ubuntu. It's a Ubuntu LTS. 15.06. six. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and um, or probably yeah. And, it, it, and they keep them updated too, so it could it could be it could be later now. Uh, and then you click that deployment, and you have you have GitLab ready to go on a DigitalOcean droplet within seconds. Starts at five dollars a month. And you use the promo code coderdigital, digital, all lowercase. By the way, one word. You get a ten dollar ten dollar credit. You could try it out. Just see if it works for you for two months for free. Uh, And I just wanted to mention the nice thing about this is if you set it all up and you realize you really screwed the pooch, and if you could do it all over again, you'd do it a lot better. But you don't want to have to go through the hassle of reloading GitLab and reloading. No, because of the way the DigitalOcean deployment works. You hit the reset button on that droplet, it goes back to that base image with all of the software installed, all the repo setup that you need, all of the keys imported and signed that are required to talk to those repos securely. Everything's set right for you when you hit that reset button, and then you just rebuild. You start with a clean slate. I love that because it makes bouncing back super fast. It also makes testing really fast, too.
1: Digital is great. It's a great solution to use DO for this, too, if you have, uh, let's say, for one customer, you have legal compliance Mm -hmm. issues meaning maybe they're in the medical space and you can't put their repo on GitHub or Bitbucket, this is a reason to have a GitLab instance running. Obviously, you have to secure the server.
0: Yeah, and they have data centers in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, yep. Amsterdam, London, Toronto, Germany. So you could probably find one that works great for you. And they have a great interface to manage all of it and a really slick API that we've talked about before, how we use their API now to manage some of our droplets via bots. And it's the way of the future. It's really cool. DigitalOcean.com. Just use that promo code CoderDigital, and a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. That just seemed like a too obvious spot. Like that's an obvious solution for yeah, a lot it, of people, especially in our it, audience.
1: It, you know, it, it is actually the solution that Buccaneer was started with. We we ended up moving only because we are using Atlassian for everything mm-hmm. else. And- Literally, source control is free. Yeah,
0: so, you know, I think with each tool you decide to roll your own and roll your own infrastructure, you really have to just consider, is there, is there a hosted solution that is secure, meets our needs, and is reasonable priced because you're opting now to manage something else? So
1: you have to make sure it's the right thing for you. And Plus, who do I trust more, right? Who's more likely to make a mistake, me or Atlassian? Right,
0: that's That's, uh, a good that's really what it comes
1: down and to. And you know, there's a lot of factors,
0: too. Like, what's the strategy tax? What's their law, et cetera, et cetera? What's their long-term goals? And, you know, you've made that assessment with GitHub, and then maybe not for me. Uh, and I think that's a personal choice
1: for each person they make for each major tool they have to implement. Honestly, one of, one of my main concerns with GitHub was I didn't feel like they were making enough money, even though I was paying a lot.
0: Um, Azar says that he can't store his EU client's code on GitHub, so he uses yeah. a DigitalOcean droplet.
1: Yeah, that—, that HIPAA compliance in the United yeah. States, you really shouldn't be hosting that on GitHub. I find no, but, it – well,
0: I find you know. it too just uh, every single time I've, I have opted to roll out something that JB is now hosting instead of going to a third party. And we just did a whole slew of it. We just spun up like three right. new servers in the last few weeks. Um, I have to really analyze that decision each time and say, okay, if this thing is going to take X amount of our time now – is that worth the time and the value that maybe we could just get from something that's hosted? And each each time you make that decision, I think you learn a little bit too. So you can't be too hard on yourself. Like if the you Elassian know, thing doesn't work out six months down the road, maybe GitHub's offering looks a little better. It's not being wishy-washy to change. It's just It's just reassessing your needs and making...
1: And I would argue if you're going to go the cloud solution way, having multiple ones is probably a great uh, redundancy strategy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's good to keep your toes wet in the other
0: pond too, just so you kind of have an idea what they're working on.
1: Well, we do have a GitHub organization account that we use. Yeah. Um, So you get a little idea. idea. Yeah. Yeah. And and all of our open source stuff is actually on GitHub, not Bitbucket.
0: Boom. Holy smokes. I never thought I'd be saying this headline on the Coder Radio program. Apple's app review times are actually shortening.
1: Yes. Yeah, so,
0: okay. Um, down apparently. to two days for iOS. Down to one day for the Mac
1: App Store. That's because no one's submitting apps to the <laughs> Mac App Store. Uh, no. The uh, yeah. So this is a rumor. It's not officially confirmed, but the word on the street, to use the horrible pun is that Apple is so focused on services now, they want to get apps in quicker, oh. less pain, so this is how they're doing it. I would bet you any amount of money that they have some sort of automated review thing, just like Google does, right? So the human intervention's not as, uh, as heavy as it used to be. I don't know. I'm doing some submissions very shortly, so I would like to see that it yeah, goes through a little test case, Because huh? Yeah. Because hmm. my, uh, my Mac app review times used to be about a month.
0: So yeah, I remember be, I, that. Yeah, that be was great
1: to to get that. Not so.
0: In can we just? I know this is not what we're here to talk about today, but uh, okay. Before I go any further, I will grant you. The, oh, you bastards! Get out of there. Get that little there. Oh, there we go. So I have a little chart up on the screen that shows you the Apple's fiscal quarters from uh, Q1 2013 sure. to Q2 2016, and in this small slice of time, not compared to any other source of income, this shows you a very nice progressive mostly progressive climb i mean it's better than how microsoft's Everything. online services looked before they read re- before they rejiggered the uh, structure of the company um, okay so i guess you know for example they made 6 billion from in q1 2016 and they made uh, 5.99 billion um in q2 2016 I-, I get what they're doing here right they're changing the narrative this is what so you know how we always talk about how there's a lot of Apple coverage, a lot of Apple podcasts, a lot of Apple press. I think for the most time they're fairly they're fairly on the on the nose with Apple. They can be a little forgiving, but this is where they get bamboozled. Is Apple is putting this narrative out now because they're trying to get Wall Street to pay attention to where they are growing. Because as you know, Apple's taking it in the pants right now as far as the stock market goes because their, their uh, last quarter came out and growth fell down through the floor. And Wall Street buys and sells based on growth, not the fact that they could buy and sell most countries in, just, by their, just by their cash balance. That's not what Wall Street cares about. They care about growth. And so Apple is changing the narrative to get everybody to talk about growth. So the only place they're really truly growing is services.
1: Okay, but isn't that what everybody else is doing?
0: I suppose I, what, I, what I'm trying to play, what I'm trying to point out is, when you say everyone else, Apple is not Amazon. They are not Azure. They are not Rackspace. They are not Google Cloud Compute. They are a hardware company, and the services that they have are only there to back up and make those hardware products better. They are not like. Compute clusters you can go buy, or SQL servers you can run up in the sky. There are iCloud storage and key value storage and IMAP and things like that. That's what iCloud is. And and iTunes, if you lump the music downloads that they've been hosting on Akamai CDN for the past 15 years into services all of a sudden huh. and iTunes.
1: Okay. Well, okay. A couple things, right? iCloud is a basket that contains a lot of rotten, crappy It's
0: products. a catch-all. It's a catch-all name for all but of their online services. Some of
1: their products aren't terrible.
0: I agree. Their notification Cloud system, the, mes- the notification system iMessage or- seems to deliver its messages most of the time, I think.
1: I, I would argue that the API that gets the least credit is CloudKit, particularly because it now has a JavaScript hook-in, which is actually very, very good. Mm. Um, having said that, you know, if you want to be cross-platform... It is now possible to do it. Hmm. It's just harder, um, assuming you use the JavaScript API. My, my question is why, of course, and, and for people who don't use iOS, the obvious way they would make money here is either you buy the app, which, let's be honest, it's not super realistic, or if you're doing any kind of storage or anything that touches their services, they get a cut. So if you're having people store files in, in iCloud, the minimum iCloud that you get for free is extremely small. So like even my wife's iPhone, I had to buy her the second-tier iCloud account because it's just you fill it right up in two seconds.
0: Yeah, basically Uh, after like a month of backups or something. It's
1: it's, it's gone in like – I think it was exactly a month. So sure, they can make money that way. But don't you think, Chris, that maybe moving to a more automated process would let them not have to keep hiring people to review apps and maybe to save a ton of money in healthcare costs, payroll – That way, I mean, to me, this seems like a cost, a savings measure than anything else. I guess it's a good story to get out there
0: too. And
1: and, and I'm I'm a developer; I'm very happy if this is actually the new world where it's 48 to 72 hours to get an app reviewed. You know, that's a lot easier to to kind of plan around, right? From a very practical point of view.
0: Boy, Apple is. But here's the here's just we can no longer have to dwell on this point. But Apple is so screwed if. All of the attention goes to how much they grow in services. They are so screwed because that is Google's bread and butter, Microsoft's bread and butter, Amazon's bread and butter. It's it's not Apple's.
1: If they went back and released an XServe, people would buy it.
0: Yeah, but that's not services. That's hardware. They're not. Yeah,
1: that's a fair point. Okay.
0: See, I guess I, yeah. think, I think they should make I, – I think that's part of their problem. I think that's maybe why they're so behind in services is because nobody uses their platform well, to you know, actually a lot serve of anything. Company,
1: yeah, a lot of companies are making a lot of money like hosting high-end Mac minis as build machines uh-huh, for developers. Yeah, yeah. I've con- considered it multiple times just like putting a Mac mini either on our land or in a CDN somewhere. I'm sorry, not a CDN, a um, – uh, what the hell? Colo in a colo somewhere just because, you know, having a stable build machine would be great. Why, I mean, I, I see a lot of people wanting to, who, who would probably consider using some sort of like, don't call me Azure or Apple Cloud for mm. that kind of purpose. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe.
0: I don't know. That's a tough, there's, the competition
1: is, is, is pretty fierce out yeah. there now. Yeah, and Canonical's done so well at, like, embracing every new technology that's come out. Why would you not just run Ubuntu? Sorry, Red Hat. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> oh, you know, uh, Mr.
0: Dominic, it makes me reflect on the fact that Rails
1: is now yesterday's software. Yeah, uh, I got the memo. Wow. Yeah, I got it, too. It's
0: right here, uh, posted on Medium, just in case nobody else saw it. Uh, Rails is, is, uh, is done.
1: So, uh, this was posted by a fellow whose name I don't remember. but it's Rob what? Robinson. Thank you for putting that up there. <laughs> so, Rob is upset. <laughs> now, I actually agree. So, he has some criticisms, right? Okay. Let, let's, let's be fair to Rob. All right. A lot of his criticisms, and this, the only reason we're talking about some random media article is because this thing was trending on Hacker News. It was... Guess, it was officially Hoopla. It was Hoopla. It was actual Hoopla. Um, he has a couple arguments. Some of them, I think, are good. I think his best argument is that gems have this weird global space, and a lot of people don't look at what their gems do, mm-hmm. and there's collisions there, and that causes all kinds of problems. Unfortunately, the counterargument to that is, well, that's the same as downloading an EXE or a DLL and just going for it, right?
0: Uh Actually, see, in my limited experience, this was something that actually confused me is it felt like I, there was often – I had to walk into a situation with a bit of presumptive knowledge about which would be the right gem to use or which is the right solution to use even for a particular problem. Like I felt there was um, not duplicate effort but like slightly different options that gave me the same result.
1: In terms of the gem system? Yes. There are but the problem is that sometimes they don't play nice together. Um, he gives an example of simple form and device. These other gems that don't. Right, literally my experience.
0: And I thought, I thought, the, my experience trying to learn it was that oh, this is something that I would overcome once I become an expert. I would just memorize all this stuff or something. Like it yeah, was you tribal know knowledge. Use
1: simple form and device together. I mean, that would be, <laughs> that's the answer, right? Like they're both really big. I mean, I don't like device because I think it's too big and it, it does too many things. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're both super big. I mean, part of the the value in Rails, and I think we should probably just have this up front for people who aren't you know, in the Rails space, is you are giving up a lot of stuff. You're giving up a lot of freedom in how you do things. You're giving up performance, because it's not that performant. In exchange, you're getting development time efficiency via active record and abstractions. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition, via generators, otherwise known as scaffolding, right? So... That is – as we go through his points here, keep in mind that if you are writing Rails new in your terminal, creating a new Rails application, you have or should have already accepted that, that compromise, right? So you're trading everything else for development efficiency, and I actually don't think it's that bad of a trade. Okay. Is, okay. So with a few caveats. He has another good point about CoffeeScript. Now, he is wrong in how CoffeeScript works. He he thinks it goes through, like, two interpreters. It really doesn't. Oh, okay. But I would say that CoffeeScript, which is now the default JavaScript variant in Rails, is probably an unnecessary abstraction, and it actually makes it harder to work with other JavaScript libraries because every sample you're going to find is going to be in JavaScript. What
0: What do you think, though, about his points regarding the roadmap for Rails being bleak? The asset Oh, we're going
1: okay. Oh, okay. to get there. Okay. Get, right. So, again, you can do Rails new and send it a no CoffeeScript flag and get regular JavaScript and be happy. Active Record. It's slow. Active Record is the whole reason you're using Rails. <laughs> it's so you don't have to write SQL queries. If you don't like Active Record, you probably don't like ORMs because, contrary to popular opinion, Active Record is one of the best, most mature ORMs on the freaking planet. So if you're, you know, if you're criticizing Active Record from a position of ORMs are bad and inefficient, fine. Then don't use one. If you're criticizing Active Record because Active Record is bad as an ORM, I'm just wondering what ORM do you think is better? Because I have never seen one that is more reliable or more consistent in the way it behaves. Um, bad code. Rails suffers from the PHP problem of. Since it is very popular, since you can go on Craigslist and look for Rails contracts and Rails jobs, and since there are so, such a culture around code school and Plural site um, and all those types of, like, learn Rails in five days boot camps, there are a ton of shitty developers out there doing Rails. And I don't mean that as an insult to them. I mean, they're just new, right? And they're copy-posting code from Stack Overflow and doing all this bad stuff, just like people do at PHP and have created a giant waste disposal system for PHP. Mm-hmm. So, is it really fair to say that Rails is, on its face, bad for what it's supposed to do? This is the other point I would probably want to make about this. If you really think you're going to be Twitter-scale, then don't use Rails, Mm -hmm. right? But if you're like the 99.99% of people I talk to who need a website or a web application, who are going to have maybe a couple hundred, you know, internal corporate users rails is awesome because rails allows you to get it done on their crazy low budget i mean really Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's what rails is about rails is about development efficiency i just i just don't understand and apparently he is a maintainer of active record so at least he likes active record but i don't you know i don't understand how this keeps happening, right? People keep saying, oh, well, it's not, you know, so-and-so technology is bad because mm-hmm. in this weird case of high performance and you need a ton of, you know, and you have millions of, of active users at the same time, it doesn't – it falls down and it's hard to scale, I think,
0: which it is. I think, too, people in the technical community are prone to arguing solely on the technical merits of something and when something doesn't pass the sniff test – you know, you start building a case against it because right. that's what yeah. we – it's an engineering-driven community in a sense.
1: Well, and, and to be fair, and this is the next point, there are things that are absolutely not good in Rails. <laughs> the asset pipeline is a disaster. Yeah, yeah he you definitely can, talks about that. You can lose sleep. Yeah, so he's not completely wrong, right? And this is – I actually think his post is good. I, I think, you know, he even admits it if you read the comments that he just had a really bad long night because something broke. So probably not the best time to write a rant about something. Yeah. But, you know, the asset pipeline in Rails is absolutely terrible. Trying to integrate something like Angular with Rails via a gem or bootstrap via a gem just feels wrong. I mean, it, it, it's just it's very, very weird. Um, and I, I don't, you know, I, I would challenge anyone who thinks Rails is bad on its face to say, okay, well, what real-world situation that is likely to happen to you, your client, or your employer. Will it fail for, right? Hmm. So you you kind of teased it. The future roadmap of Rails, which we've discussed previously on the show. Things be changing. Hmm. Uh, Rails 5 is going to be taking a slightly different direction. Okay. One of the bigger things that I actually like, but I wonder if it's not the right choice for Rails, is it's bringing in the Rails API gem. Uh, the Rails API gem basically gets rid of all the scaffolding and generators, and there's no, like, view generation, right? So if you think Rails is MVC, and this is a gross simplification, so don't write me hate mail, or do and send it down. Um, it's a gross simplification. I mean, sorry, it uh, cuts out the view layer. So no more generating views, no more serving views from the Rails server. You'd have a different, you'd have a different like Angular client or Bootstrap client or whatever JavaScript framework of the week you're using, or maybe a mobile app in Ionic, which is the right way to go. You would know. So does that make sense, Chris? You're not generating the HTML views, via.
0: Yes, that's a big change.
1: Okay, that is. Interesting, right? Because if you think about the things that are really weak in Rails, such as the asset pipeline, which you can tell I don't like the asset pipeline, you basically avoid that completely because you're not compiling your JavaScript or your CSS on hmm. Rails. You're you're doing it via some other web server, right? Hmm. You're moving in a direction, and I, I wish I had the link in the doc. Uh, some of the talk about Rails uh, being Omakasa. Uh, kind of leading you in a direction for Rails five, huh? Yeah, let me just—I'm just, just going to bring it up. Go ahead, Chris. So if I'm if
0: I'm wrapping my head around this, uh, and I don't—I'm not sure if I am because I've never really never. This is not really an area I've ever really de- dug into. But what it sounds like—is it sounds like—things are sort of <clears throat> some of the work is breaking out, and uh, in some sense, some of the work that was being done by Ruby is now being done by the web server. Is that—is that? Am I following you correctly?
1: It's weird because actually you can go ahead and not do it that way still in Rails 5. You can have your generated views. You can have your scaffolding. You can have all your fun stuff. But there's definitely a desire to go more in that services direction of the API being the API, which, you know, for my two cents, I actually think that's the right way to go. Uh, These big monolithic applications are probably not the greatest solution of all. I don't know if you're already going that far. Is Rails the solution you ought to still be using or should you just find something else?
0: Is this, it, to me, just uh, as a, just just to follow my, just to finish that last thought, as an outsider to me, this honestly doesn't feel like a huge radical shift. It feels like, it, it honestly feels like this is just how the community responds when there's new contenders out there that are getting a lot of attention like Swift and Go and Rust. Yeah,
1: I mean, I, I put a link in the chat to the Rails Doctrine that we talked about a few weeks ago. I mean, the the, the Rails maintainers have come out with a pretty strong uh, statement of where they want to go. I see. So it's a Go-style API.
0: Rails 5 <laughs> is allowing you to build just a bare Go-style API instead of everything. Okay. That is it a pretty let, huge shift, I guess.
1: It will let – so you can, still, you can still do it, right? You can totally still have your generator views. Okay and i i don't know if i love calling it a go style api cuz again with go you're optimizing for performance so for rails you're definitely not yeah um, which is and this is something i'm struggling with too if you're going to go in this direction should you even be using rails right should you not be using something like go or some one of the more high performance java frameworks yes i said java and high performance hmm. um, or scala we have got to love scala i You know, I I don't know, right? The the problem I have with this post is he's right about a lot of things.
0: He says we're stuck in a voice of OOP and inheritance and metadata programming that encourages lazy thinking and lazy software.
1: Oh, I mean, sure, right? Like some of the stuff Ruby lets you do, what is it? uh, Monkey patching is terrible. I I would also argue that you should not be allowed to have uh, DSLs at all. Everybody should be... The DSL domain-specific language right? No,
0: JS suffers the same exact problem. We need new thinking, not just repackaging of the same old failures. I should be spending my time writing code, not debugging a haystack of mutable dependency-wired okay, but you, ma- ma- Right, maps. but here's the problem.
1: You don't need to import all of these extraneous gems, right? You don't need to use right. devise right. and right. simple. You don't need to do any of this. Now, I will give him, and I agree with it, the Rails view stuff is pretty, pretty rough, and it gets pretty gnarly and hard to maintain. But isn't there I know Active Record is a DSL. Isn't there a I'm saying that you as the end of end user developer. Isn't there a point where it's actually on the developer himself or herself to not write these bugs, right? <laughs> I mean, yes. I mean, come on. I mean you know, you import a bunch of gems and you expect everything I to just, work.
0: Here's I don't like I just don't like the answer being, oh, you use the system to the, w- the way it's supposed to be used really well, and so now you've caused a problem. That just sucks as an answer. you not <clears throat> oh yeah, that feature that's like a core feature of the platform. Yeah, you used it too much. Uh okay. Yeah, it, yeah, you know, it, it's like browser extensions, like, oh yeah, you installed too many extensions, now your browser's crashing. Well why the hell can I install extensions then?
1: I hear what you're saying, but, you know, in no other community, like, I know, it's a, you have to
0: be everything yeah. in balance. You have to use it responsibly. I get that. And I, I am just giving you the devil's advocate is it is kind of a sucky response to say, oh, yeah, that's a built in feature of the platform. You just you just kind of did. You overdid it a little bit. You need to kind of scale that back. Uh, know, I, that's OK. I would okay.
1: argue that, like, some of the pain that I've had with Rails is. And this is exactly what Azer just said, the dynamic language aspect of it. All these unit tests you have to write or should write that most (laughs)
0: people
1: don't (laughs) simply because you don't have a compiler smacking you in the face telling you you did things wrong. A lot of these tests are just testing things a Java compiler would have seen, right? Uh Like, oh, I sent a string to an integer. That's Mm bad. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe it's not the best solution for every job. But again, I I will still, you know, I will die on this hill for a lot of low-budget, Need to get it done. Need a simple web application. Rails is a great way to get it done, again, with that budget, when performance doesn't matter that much. Assuming when, when, you're you having,
0: when you have a couple hundred users. When you have right. No, it, when it's not, it, when it's it it's not tens of thousands. If tens no, of tens it, it of thousands.
1: That, right? I, this is the thing. People say Rails doesn't scale. It doesn't scale in the millions.
0: Yeah, okay. I think that's fair. Yeah. Now- Well, I don't actually- I don't even know if that's fair in particular. I think in most people's setup, most setups most common
1: uh, it also costs more to host. I mean that's the other side of it. The the you're definitely you know, you're you're not in the base DO plan at all. <laughs> well yeah, probably not. <laughs> so there there are compromises. But again, I base
0: yeah, Basecamp, you, there you go. There's a good I mean, Basecamp isn't like humongous, oh, but it's a git, it's a uh, big
1: site. GitHub is written in Rails. There you go. (laughs) With some help from other things. Yeah. This is the thing, right? Rails is, think about it as a good 1.0 framework. Hmm. And if if your project actually succeeds, yes, you will probably start going on the same path that many others have gone, such as, oh, I don't know, JRuby and taking advantage of the JVM, which is awesome. So all
0: you're saying is all of those Ruby developers out there, uh, all those Rails developers out there, you're just doing quick prototyping. Come talk to Mike when it's time for 2.0.
1: Which is weird because we almost exclusively ship Rails, but
0: yeah. um. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, I actually don't see. I it's actually, I'm, I'm joking, but I kind of take. I think you're kind of. I still feel like you're downplaying a little bit. Uh, I don't think it even. I don't even think it's your first prototype. I don't even think it's your first product. I don't. It could be your second or third or fourth product if if you, if the market you're shipping for the product is it, that Ruby on Rails works just fine. I it could be your tenth you know version it, of it and it's just fine as long as that's meeting the needs.
1: You know what it really is. It's Rails. Rails is good for what it was made for. It is not good to be the only web framework you know, the only tool you ship anything in.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's very much the
1: case. That, right? That's it. I mean, yeah. obviously Node is the wrong choice, no matter what you're doing, though. Yeah. See <laughs> what I did there? I, I like that. That was good.
0: That was that was sort of Yoda-level stuff there.
1: All nice. right, so yeah. the hate mail, coderradio at jupiterbroadcasting.com, because I know we're going to get a lot let's anger some other people unless you have an ad read uh, you know what why don't I why don't we you? do you
0: want to uh, do you want to talk about uh, anything else before we jump into IO or are you ready to jump no, in let's, let's leave it there okay alright well then yeah I'll mention our friends over at Linux Academy you know we're talking about Rui on Rails and we're talking about all these things and Linux Academy has great courseware on, on all of it the reason is, is unlike other online training sites, that uh, this type of stuff is just something they shoot for when they find the right person, and they bring him in back in 2006, and they got a contract, and they had him record some stuff, and hey, now we got Linux on site, and we can say we have Linux training, and we have Android development training, and that's where it sits. Because it's not really their core focus. but That's all Linux Academy does is this stuff. They live this stuff. They breathe this stuff. And it's nice to see a well-funded startup that's organizing its staffs to keep its content relevant, keep it up to date, and constantly adding new stuff. 2,391 videos uh, and self-paced courses where you can obtain real experience. Practice on lab servers. And one of my favorite features is their distro selector. Go in there. Say which distro say you want to run Debian, maybe or maybe you want maybe you're learning Red Hat. You choose that distribution. All of the courseware adjusts to that. But also the virtual servers they match it too. You get to SSH in, it's really sweet. SSH in maybe to like one of their scenario based labs. They've spun these servers up for you on demand. You get in there, you're doing real world scenario stuff, getting good feedback. It's a great way for those of us who have test anxiety to sort of push through that linuxacademy.com slash coders. Go there to get our discount. Check out the graded server exercises. They have great courseware on the entire Linux stack. Like we mentioned, Ruby, they have OpenStack, Python. Now, if you're ready to just say hell of it all, just hell of it, just forget about it, and you just want to go PHP to make Mike happy, they got great courseware on that. Oh, also, those Amazon Web Services, they're like their own breed of technology, and they have – they're they they have, they're blowing it out with that course where people are getting certified like crazy. Go over there and check them out at linuxacademy.com slash coders. Community stacked full of Jupiter Broadcasting members, and they're adding stuff all the time. The membership is a super good value. linuxacademy.com slash coders. All right, so on Wednesday, Google I.O. 2016 kicks off. And uh, I like it better when they do it on a Monday, because then we can just live stream it with everybody. But unfortunately, they put it on a Wednesday this week. And I I think the big thing that I'm looking forward to is going to be virtual reality. I'm hoping that Google takes these $700, $800 setups plus PC and puts it in something usable right away. They've they've made so much progress with cardboard. And uh, the real nice experience with VR, like the first thing you think of is, oh, I want a holodeck. But to be real with you, mm, no, it's not there for that. But what it is there for is kick-ass movies, TV, and content sharing. It's stuff that your smartphone can render. And I didn't think this was the case until I had a Gear VR for a while. And on an S6, I was able to have a very, very enjoyable VR experience. And the key thing about it was, A, it was shareable because the device didn't have eight cables running off of it and attached to a PC. And also, I think very important, it was simple and flexible enough that if on a whim I just wanted to slap this uh phone into a silly-looking helmet, bobs your uncle now we're doing VR. Take it with me on the ca- in the car for a long car ride if I'm in the passenger seat and I want to watch a movie or something like that, boom, no problem. It is a great VR experience and it doesn't VR doesn't have to be like crisis level graphics where you've got all these different motion controllers and monitors. It can be something that you just use to enjoy some content. So I think VR is going to, I hope VR is going to be huge at IO. What do you think, Mike? I think it's going to be big IO. I'm excited. Are you fired up?
1: Yeah, I think it'll be fine.
0: <laughs> oh, you're not excited about Android N or virtual reality coming down the
1: pipe? I, the whole VR thing, I'm just not that into. Uh, I, I, That's what I said until I tried it. Maybe I need to, I've tried it. But I've tried, like, the make-it-yourself Google.
0: uh, Yeah, they need a nice product around that. Something you can just buy and snap in. Hmm. You know what I watched just last night that I would Mm -hmm. actually love to use Google VR for? Uh, I don't even know how, but the AccuWeather app, you know, AccuWeather, somehow they they make enough money that they've got, like, like, a video site where they publish video and, like, news and all this kind of stuff, and on there they have a... 360-degree storm chasers uh, chase of this monstrous tornado in Colorado. Monster. And just just to be in that and just on YouTube and on my web browser to be able to scroll around in this 360-degree experience was amazing. But the first thing I thought is, geez, I wish I had the Gear VR.
1: This. Interesting.
0: Yeah, it was, it was just on YouTube. It was really simple. It would be really easy to do on a phone. Uh, and you add – the other thing about VR is you add headphones and it really completes the experience. Again, that's a lot easier to do on something like a Gear VR than with the Oculus or the Vive. Well, not really. I guess they, they build into the headset. But, um, yeah, so all right. All right, so you're not excited
1: about – what about N? Give me something for N. Any love for N? Not a ton of love for N. Honestly, the thing I'm hoping for is some, uh, some, some better progress on Android Wear. Oh, okay. And maybe some deeper developer access into Android Auto.
0: Sure, yeah, definitely there. I I feel like Android Auto isn't even really a product yet.
1: I Um, feel like Android Auto has been kind of shoved in the closet somewhere.
0: I've seen it a couple of times, but I'm just not impressed. I'm
1: hoping we get an Android Studio update because mine keeps freezing.
0: Oh, you know, I uh, just to go back to Wear for a second, um, I'm, I'm happy to say I'm revisiting Android Wear after... A long vacation. I gave Noah my Nexus 5 and my LG Watch R for a while. Right. And he brought them back um, at Linux Fest. And so in that time, the Watch R has received a couple of updates that have boosted its battery to two days and enabled its Wi-Fi chip finally. I bought it because it had one, but the software didn't support it. Um, And so it's it's able to, which might be explained some of the battery life improvements because it's not using Bluetooth and constantly trying to make that connection work. Um, the apps are pretty good. I'm, I don't know. They
1: are. They're, they're, so I've looked at, uh, I think Android Wear is in Wear. a better
0: state than I thought it would be at this point.
1: Oh yeah. Wear is in good shape, especially from a development perspective. Uh, WatchKit, it's funny because Wear is so much better to develop for than WatchKit. You have much better access to the system, a lot more uh, functional APIs that do interesting things.
0: Yeah, you know, I've noticed the apps are way better. Like, just in terms of functionality and what they can do versus what the uh, uh, Apple Watch apps can do.
1: WatchKit is very restricted by policy. Although, you know, there's a couple things I'd probably like to see. Like, I have the first-gen Moto 360, and if I don't have my device on me, it doesn't work. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't have enough battery life. And why can't my Android watch, like, turn me into a Power Ranger, Chris? <laughs> you
0: know, you know. The, also, the expectation is a little lower when these Android watches are cheaper than the uh, Apple
1: Watch. They're still going to be cheaper. But I, I, I'm making a joke about, you know, anime.
0: Transform. Transform.
1: I, I think the problem with WatchKit and Android Wear is that they're so constrained by battery life. And having to be tethered to the phone, which you mentioned it, Bluetooth connection is incredibly, incredibly cost, costly. And
0: limited. Thing, I, you know, I go in the other yeah. room sometimes and it drops.
1: Right. I mean, the, the first gen 360, I, I don't know how your experience has been. I leave, I leave the room, I have no connection.
0: Yeah, the watch ours is a little better. But you know what, now that I'm on Wi-Fi, it's, it's no problem at all. In fact, now I can walk around outside. Just not too far from my premises. and uh,
1: I, w- I would also love, like, greater integration with Google Now, so I could, like, talk to my watch and be like, hey, yeah. anything I would do in Google Now.
0: You, well, there's a lot. I mean, you can do, okay, uh, you know, such and such, uh, okay book of knowledge, and then say what you want to say uh, on the watch, right? You can do that on the 360. You don't have okay G
1: uh, on, okay. your,
0: on, your, on your watch? Uh well I've
1: reprogrammed mine to say salam Google. But- <laughs> so because
0: so, so on mine, like when I when I when I uh, when I wake it up, it, it says say okay right. salam and then
1: uh hang on. Oh it's dead. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Whoops. So I find that to be pretty good. Now that I'm on Wi-Fi, the, the big di- that's so all what I what I discovered was the big limiter there is the speech recognition. Of course, has to talk to the Google uh, servers. So if you're on Wi-Fi, that works a lot better than over Bluetooth because it just talks directly to Google servers from your watch. So the Wi-Fi is it makes all the difference for me.
1: Yeah, uh, I I, th- I feel like the watches actually need their own connection.
0: I'll give you can I give you my secret. I wasn't gonna I was gonna make this a whole thing. What's your secret? Oh hi there! That was literally my watch hitting the microphone. Ironic. Um, <clears throat> so here's why I'm kind of uh, here's why I'm kind of bullish on. Uh, is that the right Yeah, I'm bullish on on wear because I've made a huge change and it is making my life a lot better. And uh, you finally come
1: out of the closet.
0: <laughs> if wear did not so one of the big things I've hated about watches, uh, all of these computer watches, is they they give you your notifications. My God. Uh, when I'm at work, I yeah. trust me. I don't need anything beeping. I, I mean, I've got. First of all, I don't want a distraction. That the cost of distractions is too high. But second of all, it um, in like five places. Yes, yes. And so I, I had a, I had a sea change of mindset that has changed my life for the better. I realized that instead of having where be part of the chorus. And it and it, and the reason why I think it took me a little bit together is because I'm so damn lazy that I was didn't want to have to do this this next step. But you know what I did, Mike? I freaking went around to every single device, everything except for my phone, and I turned off notifications. No desktop notifications. No ding-a-lings, Nothing. And then, <coughs> in and the Android Wear app, I turned on the option that says when when the Wear device is connected. Mute all notifications on the phone No vibe on the phone No blippity bleeps on the phone If where is connected Send it to the watch So now if I get a notification Like for Telegram And, I, and even if I'm going to reply on my desktop I get the notification on the watch And everything And then if I, want, if I don't want any notifications I just take the watch off And I walk away It has made the watch The best thing ever A, I got only one place to check and dismiss now And B, I only got one thing that either beeps or buzzes at me, which is way better when I'm doing a show. Way, way better. So uh, I love it. And uh, for me, uh, it's been a huge change. So I'm pretty
1: excited about Wear again. Are you tethering that to an iOS device or an Android device?
0: At the moment, it's on an Nexus device. Uh, I've never tried Wear with an iPhone. I don't know. (laughs) what That seems pointless. (laughs) Because it seems like a lot of the functionality I get with Wear wouldn't be available uh, with an internet phone. So I have been I have been enjoying um I tried Android N for a bit on the Nexus 5 uh uh X and found it to be horribly laggy and too slow so I'm back to uh, Marshmallow. Marshmallow. Yeah, so I'm hoping I'm hoping they have some impro- some announcements about speed improvements for N because my initial testing with N I I almost never roll back updates once I've gone forward cuz I just figure I'll just hang with it and make until it works. But uh, uh, I had – now, thankfully, they make it easy to opt out of the beta once you've gotten in. But I had to get out of that. So, all right. Okay. Oh, I, there is one other prediction I've heard going around that I wanted to bounce off you. See, I'm kind of I'm looking forward to this. I think this is going to be a good IO. Uh, I think they're going to have to come out with an Echo competitor. Because it's just yeah, so no. obvious with the Now service and the OK
1: Googs. Uh, there is one thing I want, but I'm not going to get we lost them. Oh, Easy what guy. is it? What is it? I'm just, I was waiting. What is it? Kotlin. Kotlin? The language. So it, it seems pretty clear to me that uh, Google is going to have to move away from Java because they very obviously broke Sun's license. Which <laughs> I don't understand why no one else can see that because they have emails where they say, hey, I think we need a license. Nah, bro, Sun ain't going to do shit to us. So they pushed around the little kid on the play yard, and then he got bought by the big kid, who's going to take millions of dollars. Um, I see a world where they move away from Java. Now, the whole Swift rumor, possible? Yeah, come on. It seems unlikely. I I think Kotlin makes a lot more sense. It already works. Um, You can already do Android development in Kotlin. It is by a vendor that they already have a good relationship with called JetBrains, and it is purely open source, i.e. JetBrains cannot turn around and sue them. Why not just just do that? Yeah, this is exactly what they probably would do, huh? This seems uh, genius. It's a huge engineering effort. I mean, I understand that it's a pain in the ass, but, you know, it's inter and, and this is the biggest feature. Then I'm glad you brought up the page. Kotlin is interoperable with Java. Yeah, that's so huge. huge. Like Swift is interoperable with Objective C. Yeah. kind of on iOS and macOS, you can totally make some Kotlin files uh, and classes in your existing Android codebase. Yeah, that's 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 good. That's solid. Why don't you think they're going to do it? Just the level of effort. In, in actually doing that scene. Maybe next year? Honestly, I think they probably are working on this as a skunk's work, and they're kind of just waiting to see what the judge says, right?
0: I wonder, too, if maybe they would lay the groundwork this year.
1: I think the best we could get this year is some sort of official embracement of Kotlin, right?
0: That would make sense. Something that makes it a safe uh, – uh, on the Android platform, a favorable player, as, as it were. Something – what is it, like a gesture with the Play API? What do you think? What's what's something they could do? Give it a nod. It's got to be more than just like an acknowledgment up on stage, well, right?
1: Mean, what did Apple do to really show that Swift was was here to stay? Do some of your samples and – in, in the developer sessions, have Kotlin be there. Have have some guys from JetBrains do a couple talks, right? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I am the biggest Java lover in the world because I'm old and lazy and don't want to learn new things. Though that has been changing. I could definitely see a reason to go to Kotlin. I could see several reasons to go to Kotlin. And Kotlin has a lot of the advantages that Swift has over Objective-C, over You know, when compared to Java, Hmm. I just I worry about the actual engineering effort to make that happen. Although maybe not, because right Kotlin is already interoperable; it works on the JVM. You can already develop. And and I
0: didn't even think about the fact that there is almost a competitive necessity from Google's perspective, perhaps to respond to Swift.
1: So they're, they're they're really getting hit from two sides here, right? One Oracle. I mean, I understand that this is not a popular opinion here, but uh, it's pretty obvious to me. And please read the emails that they knew what they were doing, and because they knew it, they're going to get hammered, right? They they knew that they needed a license from Sun. Whether you think they should have needed a license, or whether you think that's not a good interpretation of copyright, doesn't mean that you know the. And, and Chris, I would be curious about your uh, feelings on this. The fact that there's an email where they acknowledge that they need the license and want to avoid a legal problem. <laughs> and they say that outright. I don't remember it,
0: that it, as clearly, but I do seem to recall that there was some for one-to-one copy and pasting going on too. Yeah.
1: Well, and there was a couple where they said don't mention Java for legal reasons. Right, and then there's one that says we need alternatives because there are potential yeah. legal issues. Yeah, but
0: as them. it points out, the six files—that's that six files that copied out—is what rings a bell. It doesn't seem like an egregious move. It doesn't seem like, in the grand scheme of things, that big of a. Um,
1: yeah, but the promised trade uh, transgression. are always decided on technicality or often decided on technicality. Yeah, right?
0: well, and intention. You know, right. if they can, if, they, if 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 Oracle can prove Google's intention, then
1: I, I mean. You know, I've been following all the R's reporting on the trial. I wouldn't say that there's a, you know, it's not a slam dunk that there was a cover-up, but it definitely sounds like when you have, you know, the president or the CEO of the company emailing engineers and saying, you know, don't say Java, don't, you know, don't do all these things. It seems like there definitely was at least an awareness of the potential legal issue, right?
0: Yeah, I I think Oracle... I think I think Oracle could end up. I mean, last week we were kind of pursuing the precedents that could be set, but uh, the more I think about how other, how many other times something like this has probably happened.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I would also argue this is probably not that precedent setting of a case. I I, think, I don't know. I I feel like this stuff has happened before. I don't think this is that new. Yeah. Well, um, how about, about uh, J Sharp? Anybody remember that? Remember, yeah. Sun sued them. I, I was watching.
0: I, mean, I was watching Twit last night, and Leo and yeah, friends were crapping their pants for like twenty five minutes. I mean, they think it's a, they think it's they I think it's an industry unraveling precedent that could be set. Maybe I, I don't believe that. the anime either. says it's a fair use trial. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of that's a lot of pressure on one thing.
1: Think about think about this though. Even if it even if I'm wrong and and it, it is destructive to the industry, right? All Google had to do was go over to Sun who, by the way, had no money, right? Sun was not in good shape. And give them some money. And you know Sun would have negotiated a friendly license. Mm-hmm. And maybe Sun would have made them say Android powered by Sun Micro. or something like that, right? But this is not about fair use or copyright. This is about Google being fundamentally unwilling to pay for software.
0: I think what people at large are worried about is a non-technical jury and judge making decisions that will have,
1: yeah, exactly, uh, uh, to me, to me, it's a pretty egregious case of Google wanted to pay exactly nothing, and that's what they paid. But let's – anyway, back on topic, right? Back
0: to, I'm sure I'm sure this will not be coming up at I.O. on no. Wednesday.
1: I don't think this will be coming up. Well, I would like to see a slide in the keynote. So we're embracing Kotlin because, you know, <laughs> reasons. Uh, I would really encourage the audience to check out Kotlin as a great open source language. You may be hearing more about it very soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, let's take a little bet on this. But, uh, yeah. no, I, think, I, think we, I think we should leave it for the today. All right, I Mr. was Dominic. All right. Yeah. The, well, my IO prediction is Kotlin. I'm actually going to put it down in the Red Book, Kotlin. I am going to watch
0: with some level of interest secretly rooting for that vr project maybe not so secretly we'd like to hear your thoughts on today's episode slash contact you can find coda radio right there on the drop down to send us in your thoughts or go to coda radio.reddit.com mr dominic if you were going to send some people somewhere during the week to find more you where would you send them i would send them to Io. i love it follow me at chris Elias and the network at jupiter signal our lifetime oh i'm glad you asked jupiterbroadcasting.com calendar you can join us JBLive.tv. We do this show live Mondays at noon Pacific. Okay, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in this week's episode of Coda Radio, and see you next week for 206.